My name is Jerry, and I get to open up God's Word with you this morning. Well, if you are visiting with us or if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, uh, this summer series has been called Words to Live By, and today is our very last uh, session in, in this series. And I want you to notice our graphic right here. We uh, created this and chose this on purpose because we wanted that whole idea of a giant tree to be the motif and to be the image of what we wanted to do this summer. Every week we've had the guest speaker or one of our own staff choose a passage of scripture that literally could be a word to live by, that could be a mantra for us to hang our hearts on and set our minds to that will be helpful for us in this life. And in the same way, this image has got lots of roots that go way down deep. It doesn't take long reading God's word to understand that that's his illustration that he uses um, to talk about what scripture is, right? You think about Psalm chapter one that says, you know, I'm going to uh, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, and I will be like a tree planted by the water, a powerful tree that's roots uh, go down deep and whose fruit will not wither in every season. And that's just one of many uh, talk about being rooted. And that's what we wanted to do this summer with these individual passages of scripture. And on here on the screen right now are all the different passages that we've tackled this summer. And I'd really encourage you, if you're out for a few weeks, or even if you're just visiting us here this morning, and this is something that interests you, you can go onto our website, northwestlife.org, and you can listen to the podcast of all of our different guest speakers uh, and these words that God has brought to their hearts to share with us. So I encourage you and invite you to do that. Well, we, as I mentioned, we are in our very last one, uh, and before I actually throw down what that is, I thought it would be interesting and fun to share with you a couple of words to live by that didn't quite make the cut. Okay, there's a lot of crazy stories in scripture, a lot of crazy passages, and uh, maybe some of you took it upon yourselves like, oh yeah, let's see what they do with this one. Text in or email in what your favorite verse is or a verse that you want explained and, you know, celebrated here. Well, there's a few that didn't quite make the cut. I just want to share a couple of them with you here this morning. Uh, how about this one from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, uh, the account of a teenage mob making fun of Elijah saying, go on up, ye bald head. Go on up, ye bald head. Baldy. Making fun of an old man. That's not nice. Well, maybe this next one will uh, be one that maybe some of you actually take on as your life verse. How about this one? Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life. Anybody raise your hand up and you're like, yup, guilty is charged, gray hair, lots of it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now, and so a few years back, I started looking in the mirror, I'm like, wait a minute, what, what is that? Right, and you've experienced that. Well, here it is, gray hair is something positive. As a matter of fact, maybe you could say they're not really gray hairs. These are my wisdom highlights. So there you have it. Maybe that could be your word to live by. Well, me, we here at Northwest are a, a very romantic crew. We enjoy relationships, and maybe your word to live by comes from the book of Song of Solomon. Um, some of you are like, where is she headed with this? Uh, I thought this was an interesting one from the great uh, romantic, very wise man. He says, thy nose is as the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, good luck with that one, you know, uh, way to be. Well, um, what about a couple of these other ones? These are some, unfortunately, that were maybe my words to live by. When I was a teenager and in middle school and interested in romance and the opposite sex and everything, what about this one? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Hold fast to that which is good. Honey, Scripture says I need to hold fast to... I'm just telling you the truth. What about this one? First Peter chapter 5, verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. <laughs> now we're getting serious. None of you guys employ any of these, I'm just telling you. Um, well, what about this one? You know, I couldn't help but, again, these crazy stories in Scripture that are obscure. And there is something funny about heinies, right? Just be honest, right? You watch America's Funniest Home Video or like maybe it's the suntan lotion, you know, where the dog's kind of like grabbing the bathing suit and like accidental hiney sightings. Well, there was one of these in scripture. No kidding. This is crazy. This is from uh, the life of uh, David. It says, so uh, Hanun took David's servants, shaved off half of each of their beard, this to humiliate them, and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. Another translation says, at the buttocks and sent them away. I'm not kidding. So it's just like, all right, head back in shame. And believe it or not, there's actually a cartoon rendering of this, as there is with everything. So... Here's the account, um, beard shaved off and apparently they need to shave their legs as well. But anyway, scripture is great. <laughs> and um, one more concept I wanna throw down before we get serious. Uh, how about this one? A word to live by, Acts chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. We're going through Acts later on this fall and this is a great account of the apostle Peter and he was hungry, he wanted something to eat and while they were preparing it, so he's like, somebody, I need a sandwich and they're making it, he has this crazy trance while he's praying. He saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet came down and on it was all kinds of animals, verse 12, and birds of the air, verse 13, and there came a voice to him, God saying, rise. Peter, go and eat. And can I get an amen to that? Anyone here? Any carnivores here? Because remember, in that system, it's like, nope, no pork, nope, certain birds, nope, not going to happen. Shellfish, lots of other things, Jewish law, can't do it. Now all of a sudden, God's saying, hey, Peter, go crazy. Go, rise, eat, kill, and enjoy. Fire up the barbecue. One final one, I promise. Psalm Verse 78, verse 27. And the Lord rained down meat upon them like dust. Somehow there was a shower of filet mignons. And that's my word to live by. Thank you, Lord. I can't wait till the marriage supper of the Lamb. No, but in all seriousness, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to be focusing on one verse, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. We can have a lot of fun with a lot of these, but we need to get serious about the things of God. And here in this passage, God is very serious about his challenge to the church at Corinth. This is all the way at the tail end of the chapter, as you can tell, and there's something that's very important about parting words, about final words, right? 
Maybe you sent your kids off to school for the very first time, you know, this, this season or this semester, this school year, and those final words that you say, I love you, honey, be good, you know, make friends, and, you know, or maybe you sent your son or daughter off to college and what those final words were, you know, find a church quickly, you know, or, or I love you or whatever it is, or maybe it's before you send your kid to summer camp, you know, the final words for your middle schooler, you know, don't forget to take a shower this week, please. But whatever it is, there's something about those last things that you say that have an added punch to them. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church at Corinth, which was a really messed up church. And here, at the tail end, after all this instruction that he was giving them about all the things that they were doing wrong, he's got some final words of importance for them. And it starts out saying, therefore... All right, now every pastor in America for the last hundred years has said when you start with the word therefore, you have to find out what it's, but I'm not going to say that this morning. It's too easy. It's too tired. Like, we're not going to do that. But there is an element where this incredibly important verse is starting out with saying, so here's what you need to do. So obviously we do need to talk a little bit about uh, the context and the argument that he's just raised for these people. As I mentioned, Corinth was a troubled church. We actually did a short series on uh, 1 Corinthians several years ago, and it was called This Beautiful Mess. Because the church of Corinth, there was all kinds of divisions. People were saying, well, I love Paul, and I love Peter, and I love Christ. And there was all kinds of anger amongst people. There was confusion about worshiping idols. There was confusion about eating meats and everything else, um, and, and drinking, and people coming to communion completely drunk. And there was just all kinds of chaos in this church. And Paul spent this incredibly long letter just instructing them and correcting them with them. Here's how you deal with immorality. Here's how you deal with all these different situations. And in chapter 15, the chapter that we're in is the giant culmination. This is Paul saying, here's why it's important to live for God. And all of chapter 15 is all about the resurrection of Christ. It's not, oh, just behave because that's what we're supposed to do. Paul's saying, listen, you are a new creation. Your old self has died. You've been raised with Christ. We believe that here this morning. So you are a new person. You need to do away with some of these old things because of your resurrected life. You once were dead. Now you're alive in Christ. And this is the way you should live. So it's just after that whole argument in chapter 15 that he says, therefore, because of all that, because we've got this power within us, here's how we should respond. I've kind of arranged the message into two main points. What are these final instructions that Paul has for this church, and how does that pertain to us? So if you're taking notes, it's two questions about what are the final instructions. And the very first one is that you need to engage in community. You need to engage in community. That's what Paul's saying. Because of all this, it's important that you don't go at this alone. Okay, well, where do we see that? Let's start reading. Uh, Therefore, Paul says, my beloved brothers. 
And that's just one time of a dozen times or more in this book that he uses that phrase. It's in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. It's in chapter 15, verse 1. It's all over, sprinkled all over the book. He talks about, listen, dear brothers and sisters. Listen, my community. Listen to my family. I love you guys. I'm connected to you. And and we need to do this together. And there's something vitally important about this idea of engaging in community that Paul lays out here that's imperative for us to understand this morning. I don't know if you would say here this morning that you have beloved brothers or that you have soul sisters or if you've got a certain number of people that you are connected to at the heart and soul level that you can go through life with, but Paul's saying this is what needs to happen. I've exemplified this for you, and deeper than that, Jesus exemplified this for you. You remember from the life of Christ, the very first thing that happened when he was beginning his public ministry was what? Anybody remember what's the first thing that happened? The Spirit brought him out into solitude, into the wilderness for 40 days. And it was there that he was fasting, and he was praying, and he was alone, and he was tempted by the enemy And it was very difficult. He was God, so he proved that he wasn't going to sin, he wasn't going to give in, but he was alone. It was just him and the Father. And then the very next thing that happened when he came down from that, you know what Jesus did at that point? He went looking for guys. He went looking to gather some friends. He went looking to build a life group. I mean, it sounds trivial, but it really is true. That's what he did. He went around, and of course, God had ordained it, and he's down there by the shores, and there's Peter and James, and there's Andrew, and there's all these guys that now he's inviting in to this community, and he would never again alone be in that kind of agony. I want you to think about that. I mean, yeah, there was times that he spent alone with his father, but you know, now that he had these guys, these other humans around He wasn't going to go through it alone again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He begged and pleaded and urged, please do not leave me alone. Please stay awake with me. Please come pray with me. I need you at this moment. They absolutely needed him. He was God. He was uh, divine and he was a healer and he had the wisdom. He had the knowledge, absolutely. But at the same time, in his humanity, at times, Jesus wanted them as well and needed them as well in his humanity. It's a really interesting concept to think about this engaging in community. And I just want to throw out, do you have that this morning? Never forget last spring, sitting on my screened-in porch with a bunch of guys, and we were doing our men's fraternity thing on Thursday night, and we were on a particular chapter, and it was about friendship, deep-rooted friendship. And we were throwing out these questions about, who do you have in your life? Like, who is that deep, heartfelt, you can go to with anything? They're checking up on you. They're going to kick you in the tail when you need it. they got permission and expectation to ask you any question at any time. And there was maybe six or seven of us around the table, and there was probably three or four of those guys that are like, you know what, I don't have any of those people. And what's even deeper is I'm not sure I feel like I really want them or have time for them. And it was a big moment because I've had to have those people in my life ever since I started really thinking about these things when I was in high school. To try and go at it alone, to try and resist temptation alone, to try and be the man that I should be alone and, and, and be spurred on. Like, I've got to have guys. I've got to have a community. 
I need to be engaged in that manner. And, and there was somewhat of a resistance or a confusion or a, I'm not sure it's worth it. I don't know where the time is for it. But there's two key elements here that we see in this idea of community, even that Jesus demonstrated for us. And follow with these two words. It says, finally there, beloved brothers, people that I love, people that I've spent time with. Paul says, be steadfast. Be steadfast. The idea of being steadfast is a really interesting word. It carries along the idea of your internal focus. Okay, that's what's going on beginning in your heart and beginning in your mind. This is all internal. Anybody else here find that at times they're very easily distracted? <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah, you already lost me five times this message. All right. Back here, right? But man, that's so difficult for us with the way our mind is to be steadfast on something, to focus, to concentrate on something. And this whole idea about ADD and like people that are just racing thoughts and just everything else, it's just prominent. I remember one time when I really got embarrassed and exposed with, with my lack of focus. I was in seminary class. We were in this big lab, probably about 30 guys there, and we were given an assignment. It was Greek class to translate this particular passage. So we, there was a big computer right there. It was kind of a computer lab, and there I had my Greek New Testament, and you know we're writing down this stuff, and it was like given 15 minutes to translate this whole passage from Greek into English. And so I'm rocking on that and everything. I'm like, oh, you know, it's 8.15. I wonder what's going on with that Yankees game tonight. So I'm looking around quickly and like everybody's kind of focused and my seminary professor's up there doing his thing. So I very quickly type in yankees.com and hit enter. And little did I know in some freak of nature, this particular computer was hooked up to a sound system (laughs) that was live in the room. And all of a sudden, I don't know if there's any Yankee fans here, but you remember they used to have this announcer that had this crazy, like, you know, this old British announce, you know, like accent. And all of a sudden, in the whole room, I'm not even kidding you here, welcome to the New York Yankees homepage. And like immediately all these heads are turning to me. I'm like, how did that happen? But you know what we're saying. It's so easy for us just to be focused on something. And we're all guilty of it. And what Paul's saying right here is, man, you know what? At the end of all this, Corinthians, you see all the confusion, all the trouble. You take a look at the life of Jesus, how he constantly was challenging his disciples to be steadfast, beginning in the heart and in the mind, in the focus. How many times did he say to them, hey, what were you guys talking about along the road? Were you talking about who was the greatest? Hey, why do you guys worry about where your clothes are going to come from or what you're going to eat or whatever? I know a lot of these things are distracting and going to get you off your game, starting in your heart and mind, but we need to be steadfast, and you need other people to help you do that. Second piece that you see is this idea of being immovable. We need to engage in community so that we can be immovable, and that's also an incredible word. It's a little bit different than steadfast because the word immovable carries along the idea of outside circumstances coming in and getting you off your game. It's not where does it begin internally. This is, hey, I'm going along. I'm existing. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to do what's right. And then something comes in and just kind of just gets you off track. And the, the image is almost one of like there's momentum, there's, there's movement, but there's just something that just kind of like clips you a little bit. I mean, I picture like a cheetah, you know, chasing after an antelope somewhere in the Serengeti, you know, and there's movement and there's action and everything, but you know all it takes is one tiny little tap 
from that paw and that back leg and that thing all of a sudden is just heaped up in just some giant lump of vulnerability. And maybe you think about your life right now and you're like, man, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm going ahead. And all of a sudden something entered into my life that's kind of just got me off track and I'm just stumbling and bumbling and don't even know which way is up. And what Paul's saying is, you know what? If you're engaged with other people, you need that support to help you and to protect you when outside circumstances come in and foul up the equation. Do you have that this morning? Do you have those people in your life when circumstances come down the pike that you can call and will be there at a moment's notice? Or is that something that we're lacking this morning, an emptiness that's lacking this morning? I remember just last week I had an awesome conversation with a young lady who, you know, several weeks ago we talked about John eleven thirty five, 35, the idea that Jesus came down in and that Jesus wept and Jesus entered into our sorrow and connected with us in his humanity. And she came up to my wife and I next week and, and just shared a story. You know, in, in God's incredible providence, it was that Sunday that was a year almost to the day before that that she and her husband had experienced a terrible tragedy and lost a child. Almost to the day. And that whole idea of Jesus coming down and connecting brokenness of humanity and yet hope that comes with it. And she was just pouring out her heart to us. And she said the hardest thing about it was I was engaged in a church at that time. But man, we didn't have friends. We didn't have that kind of community. And so we went through this whole thing alone. Like completely alone. And it was horrible and it was tragic. And she said, and God just really spoke to me through that message. And the reason I'm coming up and talking to you now is because we don't want to go through this alone anymore. This story needs to be shared and the community needs to come alongside and we need to be a part of a life group. We want to share this with others and we want to help and support others at the same time. And that's what it means to be immovable. Second piece of it is Every bit as important. First half kind of has to do with this idea of, man, reminder to engage in community. Second one is simply this. You need to be overflowing. You need to overflow in ministry. You need to overflow in ministry. Second half of the verse says this. It says, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Always be abounding. That's an incredible word right there. Basically what it means is the idea of overflowing. And essentially one author put it this way. It means the idea of overdoing it. You ever overdo it at some point? What the author's saying right here is, you know what? Here's the solution, guys. All this confusion, all this trouble. You need to make sure that you're steadfast and immovable. But beyond that, you also need to always be abounding, always be overflowing in God's work. That is a solution. So let me just tell you here physically up here, we've mentioned this illustration in past, but I just want to give you the physical representation of it because this right here pretty much is each one of us. It's just a giant sponge for anybody who's listening on the podcast, wish you could have been here, and maybe we'll get video someday, hang on tight, but for now, I've just got a giant sponge here that's in just kind of a pan of water, and it's kind of like this represents our life, and all this water, I mean, this really just represents information, and when you think about our church in particular, we got a lot of people that are 
maybe new to the Christian scene or maybe not even a Christian here. But we also have a lot of people that have been around church for a long time. And you've got a lot of information. And what can tend to happen is, just like a sponge, we weren't created just to hold all this stuff inside. And so maybe week after week, it's like, oh man, this week, Gary Vett, I mean, that was just such a great message. I mean, he just poured out all this stuff about Matthew chapter 28, and it was just, oh, I'm just taking it in, and it was just so wonderful. And then, uh, you know, then I listened to this podcast over here, and then I got my Bible study over here, and then I've listened to Caleb all the time, you know, it's positive and so encouraging. And it's just Christian music all the time, and I'm just taking in all these radio programs, and I'm reading scripture, and I'm reading books, and I'm just taking in so much, and the illustration's obvious. What ends up happening after a while? Any more information that comes in, as great and vital as it may be, just bounces right off of you. And that's, that's good stuff. I mean, that's great. That's quality. But you know what? It's kind of being wasted, And if you find yourself week after week, if you're sitting there and there's scripture being preached and truth being preached and true worship being up there and it's just kind of like bounces right off, never makes its way to tomorrow, there's just, there's a lack of thirst because there is a situation where we are so saturated already. And what the Apostle Paul is saying right here is, you know what you need to do? It's not hard. You need to take all this information that you have and you need to squeeze that out into another vessel and you need to live out of the overflow and you need to overdo it because there's people around that need to be impacted. And so now this stuff is not a waste because it's being shared and what happens to you? oh, now all of a sudden I can actually take in more information. Now all of a sudden I can be that much more thirsty. Now all of a sudden I can understand more and more things of God because I'm actually being used as a tool and I'm actually working and pouring things out and living out of an overflow. And it's so great because this word is seen a lot in scripture. We've got several other passages where the same concept is there in Philippians. Paul says, man, it's my prayer that your love may abound, may overflow more and more, that you would overdo it, that you would be overly helpful and overly loving. In Thessalonians, it talks also about the idea that may uh, the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we get the greatest illustration of all because that's Jesus. And it says he came down and he lavished his love upon us. He overflowed and overdid it in his sacrifice for us. So let me ask you this question this morning. If, if that's what God did for us, lavishing, overflowing his love for us, is there anything that we can do for him that's gonna be too much? I mean, really, how much is too much? And when you think about the idea of serving in a church context, with this is what Paul is talking about right here. You need to be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Work, labor, it's a beautiful wordplay there where he's saying this stuff matters. This is important. And in our context at Northwest Community Church, when we talk about having people, our church community, stepping out and engaging and entering in, not just in relationships of life group, but engaging and overflowing in ministry. It's unbelievably timely 
and important that you understand this concept. We specifically planned for this message to be on this Sunday. Next week, we have student-led Sunday, which lots of our middle school and high school kids up here in the bands, uh, sharing about missions and testimonies and, and all kinds of great stuff. It's always an incredible time. The week after that, we've got our 10-year celebration, which is going to be great. And then the week after that is Labor Day. So we're basically three weeks away from hitting into September when everybody's back in school and things are full force on the church scene. And I wanted to bring this challenge to you guys to ask you the question, who are you pouring out? Who and where are you pouring out on? And maybe for some here, it's been, you've been coming for years and you're a mature believer, but man, you've never really taken the step because you, maybe you didn't feel like you had the time or there wasn't motivation or whatever it was. And the way our culture, of course, just kind of shapes us is, hey, we just want to come and enjoy. I'm telling you. I just really want you to think about the fact that, man, you know what? If you're just coming and just enjoying and, and you love God and, and you want to be spiritually mature, then you're kind of missing out. Because what's happening essentially is we're riding on the coattails of everybody else that is really trying to work hard to make things happen. You see how that works? There's people here this morning at 6.45 and we're setting up towers and we're, you know, unloading trailers and setting up kids and there's people right now watching the kids and there's student ministry that just happened last hour and later on tonight. And man, if you love God and want to be a part of the community and you're coming and not serving, it's really something that you need to wrestle with. Not because I said so, but that the command is you need to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because this is the stuff that really matters. We can work really hard at our business and create a business plan and, and work really hard to see the bottom line, you know, get even better and make lots of money, whatever else. But man, what Paul is saying is that none of that stuff matters. What matters is kingdom work. When I get up to heaven and I see this is my reward, it's people. And we just want to challenge you guys here this morning. I don't know where any of this lands on you. But we just wanted to give out a high challenge for you here, even this morning. Maybe you've been coming for a while, or maybe this is your very first Sunday. And you're like, yeah, okay, church, band, awesome, that's cool. You know, speaker, mediocre, that's all right. Yeah, maybe I can deal with it. But maybe this, you sense this community and this love, and you want to be a part of it. My challenge to you, and we want to give you an opportunity, even today, to find out what it would look like to be engaged and involved in community of a life group. I'm gonna give you that chance even this morning. We're gonna have a table out in the lobby out there with some people, with some, hey, we're life group leaders, we've got an open life group, we'd love to invite you in, all those details we can figure out. But that's gonna be an opportunity. And we wanna give you another opportunity this morning. And that's, you know what, if you've been sitting and all this information's coming and you've been enjoying, but man, it's just bouncing out because there is no avenue to pour it out into other thirsty vessels all around you and other work that needs to be done. Somebody's carrying the load for that. We want to give you the opportunity to say, yeah, you know what? It's not going to be too much. Whatever I do, I want to overdo it. Working, abounding in God's work, I want to overdo it. So what do you need? Where can I help? want to give you the opportunity to do that yes even this morning so what's going to happen is we got some guys that are going to be coming down and just passing out a card to anybody that's over 13 14 years old i want you to grab one anybody everybody 
all right? I'm not going to be asking you for money or anything weird, but we do want to give you the chance to respond, and I want to challenge you to respond. As we as a church staff are planning ahead for these next couple of weeks, we want to make sure these on-ramps are clear. Here's how to get involved. And what's on this little card that we have for you is simply this. It's got an opportunity for your name, phone number, email. There's a section for life group, one that says, hey, I'm already in one. Awesome, sweet, lovely. But one that says, you know what? I'd like to know about one. I'm thinking maybe I should take that next step and be in community. And then down below under serving, there's several different opportunities for you to serve on a Sunday morning. Some you don't even need to be a member. Certainly you understand that there are some to serve with our kids, to serve with our students. We need to know who they are. We need to make sure they're part of membership and theology and all of that. But there are certainly a lot of opportunities to serve where even if this is your first Sunday and you say, hey, I want to help out, there's a spot for that too. So I just want to call out this high challenge here this morning. I want you to look at that sheet of paper. I want you to think about it. I want you to open your heart. We're just going to take 30 seconds or so. I want you to look at that, and I want you to fill it out right now. So let's just take a few seconds and do that in this moment. While you're finishing that up, if you're already done, if you would just close your eyes, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. And, um, and then we'll respond in worship. And our great God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge. Short as it is, it's powerful. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you are the one that strengthens us. You are the one that exemplified these things for us. And Lord, I thank you for this church and the so many that already are engaged, so many that already are overflowing in ministry. May we do it even more. So Father, I just pray that as we have responded now, that we would continue to respond even in our hearts. Lord, as we declare this idea that because of Christ, there really is nothing holding us back from you. Your blood has paved the way as the great high priest. You have given us access, direct access to the Father. And there's nothing holding us back from that. And Lord, I pray even this morning that there would be nothing holding us back from giving back to you our all, our time and our energy and our talents our presence. Yeah, God, we thank you that that labor's not in vain. It's not going to waste away like so many other things. So we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.